As we've been exploring in recent weeks, most of the connections that we have with other people start out pretty strong, don't they? They fly high at the start of our relationships. Uh, We're filled with all kinds of good feelings, with awareness of all that we share, with great expectations for what this work relationship or love relationship or friendship relationship could be all about. This somewhat romantic phase of the partnership, however, usually gives over in time to a phase where we start to learn about the differences that separate us. We see things that we like about each other that are different, but then we also run into these things that are somewhat abrasive and difficult to deal with. Those differences, if handled wisely, can actually be helpful. They can be one of the great gifts of a relationship as other people bring things to us that we don't have in ourselves. But if those things are not handled wisely, there are significant problems. Handled wisely, once again, the struggles and the rubs can actually lead us up to an even greater uh, stage of the relationship uh, toward that agape love, that, uh, that deep, un- unifying kind of love that is God's best intention for us. And yet much of the time, that, that does not happen, does it? Um, much of the time, we don't get to that particular place as we handle or face Uh, the difficulties in our relationships. A lot of the time, somewhere down towards the bottom of the learning curve there, we enter what I call the red zone of relationship. Uh, And it's in that part of the journey that we start experiencing a level of unresolved conflict that is tremendously difficult, that can tear the kite of our connection with each other apart. And today I want to really zoom in on what the Bible has to say about how we handle the red zone, about how we deal with this particular place of conflict uh, that can destroy the relationship, but which handled wisely can actually propel the relationship upward. So when somebody has hurt us, when somebody has angered us, frustrated or failed us, what do we do to repair the tear in the kite? Last week we said a big part of it is, lies in listening and really learning to hear other people in a deeper way. But the question I want to really go after today is how do we speak when it comes time to speak? How do we speak the truth in love to another person? How do we say what's on our mind, what's on our heart to one another, but do it in a way that actually builds up the relationship rather than results in it going further south? That's our task for today. As I watch relationships in action, it seems to me that uh, almost all of us uh, tend to employ one of three different uh, natural approaches to conflicts uh, or ways of living in times of conflict. Some of us handle conflict by retreat. Are there any retreaters in the circle? Things get tense, they get difficult, and we tend to withdraw. We tend to go passive. We tend to go silent. We may sulk. We may go away and quietly simmer about uh, our, our hurt and our anger and our frustration. We try to push our feelings away. We tell ourselves, well, I better just rise above this. But the reality is that rather than pushing the feelings away, most of the time we just push the feelings down until they become this impacted, compacted, Reality deep in the bellies of our being. 
And the reason the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, is because God knows that these unaddressed feelings have this way of hardening into ice around our heart. When we go passive and we don't really ever deal with the situation, it forms a layer of ice just about a micron thick. And then in the next encounter, another micron. And over time, an absolute glacier forms around our our heart. And it happens so incrementally, we don't notice it or we don't feel like we have to address it, but it ultimately results in dragging our heart down completely. Our ability to feel anything for that other person goes away or anything but anger, perhaps, or hurt, resentment, bitterness. And it frosts up the wings of the kite of the relationship, and it brings it ultimately crashing down. That's what happens when we handle conflict primarily through passivity, through retreat. Some of us have the opposite tendency. Uh, We have never met a conflict that we did not address our way. We tend to handle conflict by going aggressive. We try to destroy our opponent. Oh, we don't think of it as trying to destroy them, but that's how it's experienced at the other end because that aggressive spirit is so fierce. We go on the attack. We will show the other person the error of their ways. We're going to point out the things they need to hear. And, 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 and in that process, we slam them hard. We even the score. We hope to fix the problem by telling them the truth. Martin Luther King Jr. once observed that this this is the eye-for-an-eye, tooth-for-a-tooth approach to conflict resolution. And he said it's a wonderful strategy, so long as you don't mind a world that is eventually entirely blind and toothless. As we even the score, as, as we give everybody the justice that they deserve. Which is why the Bible cautions us time and again to not be overcome by evil, to not take on the methodology of evil, but to overcome evil with good. So what is good? What does it look like to to communicate in a way that is good? How do we handle the conflicts between us, between the ones with whom we are living or working or maybe even worshiping, How do we handle these conflicts in a way that doesn't miss the mark on the one side by retreating passively or miss the mark on the other side by uh, destroying aggressively? Because either one of those particular approaches, if you think about it, doesn't really patch the problem. Right? It actually exacerbates the problem. Uh, So the answer, I think, is to learn an approach that lies in the middle between these, the passive and aggressive approach. The challenge, I think, is to learn how to authentically and respectfully engage people assertively. The goal is to become assertive people, not passive or aggressive people. So let's take a look at what the Bible has to teach us on this subject. And let's begin with some of the steps that we could take, if we chose to, to prepare for a more creative kind of conversation with somebody. Somebody to whom we want to speak the truth, but we want to do it in a way that also builds love. Uh, Let's look at how we can prepare for that. 
The first recommendation comes to us from those very familiar words of the Apostle James that we've looked at in weeks past. James says, you must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Has it worked well for you to jump into an engagement with somebody when you or the other person or both of you are really seeing red? How's that worked out for you? I think it works brilliantly in hockey. From what I can tell recently, the capacity to let yourself get worked up and really give it, it works brilliantly in hockey. But that's about the only place that it seems to work so well. My own experience in relationships is that when I am good and mad, the mad almost always overwhelms the good. And so here's a a crucial first principle as we prepare to enter into these important discussions. Wait till the temperature is a bit cooler before weighing in, before talking. Wait till it cools down. Again, don't wait forever. Don't let your heart ice up. But let the heat die down. Uh, That's principle number one. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes was right when he said, for everything there's a season. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And that's why I think closely allied to that first idea is this second step, and that is that if we really want to address an issue, ask for a convenient time to talk about it. Say, I cannot, I cannot go there right now, I don't want to go there right now, but I do want to come back and talk about what just happened or what I'm feeling or what you're feeling. Can we set up a time downstream to talk? It's almost always our inclination, at least it has been mine through the years, to let our time schedule, our sense of urgency, dictate the timing of a response to a conflict-laden situation. So it's tempting in the midst of a social engagement to get my point in, to correct somebody, uh, to vent there. It's it's tempting to do it going by in the hallway at work. It's tempting to do it as the other party is nodding off to sleep or as they're going off out the door. Uh, It's tempting. But when you respect other people's needs, when you respect other people's schedules, desires, ongoing activities they are much more likely to come to respect yours than when you communicate by your need to do it now, to talk now, that you don't respect them. It sets us further back uh, than, than we even started. So wait till the temperature's a bit cooler. Ask the other person for a convenient time to talk. Then thirdly, and this one's really important, make a decision in advance that you will not rehash past issues. As you go into this conversation, you will not try and go back to past incidences of the same behavior, even though you could come up with them. Love, God's love, we're told in 1 Corinthians 13, does not keep a record of wrongs. I hate that verse. I hate that verse. Because while I look like this mild-mannered pastor by day, by night, on the dark side, I am a CPA. I am a crotchety peeves accountant. Uh, 
I keep a record of wrongs. I, I, I have a list of the things the other person did not do right or did incorrectly. I find it so easy to store this information up. I am slowly, painfully discovering, however, that unless I leave behind the ledger sheet every effort to deal with the actual recent occurrence of the issue gets destroyed. It, it, it crumbles under the weight of all of the dead past that I am inclined to dredge up. Maybe that's true for you too. So here's just a very important principle. If we're going to repair the tear, we've got to discipline ourselves to hold to current events, to the most recent uh, incident where the details are much clearer, where there's less debate about what really happened and where redress is actually possible, perhaps. Then fourthly, go into the encounter with a willingness to make changes yourself. Enter the discussion ready that it may be necessary to admit where you've blown it yourself, where you need to make changes yourself. The writer of Proverbs says famously, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor, will retain influence. The humble in spirit will retain influence. Few things will so increase the willingness of another person to alter their course than if you've shown a willingness to alter yours. If you're humbly opening to changing in places where you have been injuring other people. I have been confronted many times by people who saw things that needed to change in me. And let me just say, it has been so much harder to, to play the defensive game, uh, to, to deny the wood in my own eye, when the person who is coming to me comes at the front end admitting all the places they're aware the wood's in their eye. Wow, you know, it's so disarming. When a person walks in and says, you know what? I'm conscious of having blown it here and here and here in the way I've dealt with you, and I'm probably missing a lot. What else do you see? And then when at the end they say, you know, having heard that, can I talk about something that just been, I've been struggling with in our relationship? It is almost impossible if they've come at it that way to not listen, to not try and take in what this person is saying. Go into the encounter with a willingness, humble willingness, to make changes yourself. Fifthly, before you engage the conversation, commit to not taking any cheap shots when you get into the discussion. By cheap shots, I mean those marvelous statements that feel so good coming out of our mouth. Right? You know what I'm talking about. These are the ones that just hammer our feelings home, but which so completely smash the other person in the face that, that any kind of real creative communication is almost impossible. I'm talking about generalizations like, you never help out, or why don't you ever listen, or how come you always act this way? These kinds of extreme generalizations are cheap shots. Nobody is that consistent. Nobody. Extreme comparisons are cheap shots. 
you are just like your mother. You're just like your dad. You're just like so-and-so. Nobody is just like anybody else. God made us unique beings with our own issues. Enough of our own. Extreme labels are cheap shots. Labels like you, blankety, blank, blank. They're like, it's like trying to get toothpaste back in the tube after we've said something like that. Make a decision in advance. No cheap shots. Because cheap shots punch people so hard in the face that their eyes just water up and they can't see anything else that we might be trying to point out. They're just too busy reeling and bashing back in those moments when we've just checked them against the boards and they, they just they can't think about relationship. Cheap shots are, however, a very delightful way to win the round. You just got to sort out. Do you care more about winning the round or winning the fight for changed behavior and winning the relationship? Let no evil talk come out of your mouth, writes Paul in Ephesians 4. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need. Finally, Wrap the conversation up in prayer before you go into it. Wrap it up in prayer. I love what Aristotle once observed. Aristotle said, anyone can become angry. That is easy. Angry is easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right person, and in the right way, this is difficult said Aristotle. This is, this is difficult. And that is, I think, why perhaps the Apostle Peter, who, as you probably know from Scripture, was a hothead himself, prone to that, prone to being one of those aggressive uh, conflict people. It's why Peter once said, whoever speaks must do so as, as one speaking the very words of God. Words have such power, so we need to treat them as if they're these divine potencies. Whoever speaks must do as one speaking the very words of God with the strength that God supplies so that God may be glorified in all things. Turn to God in prayer before going into the conversation. Turn to God in prayer. Ask him to supply you. Ask him to supply you with a peace at your center, with understanding, with truthfulness, with a good heart, with courage. Ask him to supply your needs and this relationship's needs as you go into that conversation. And he will answer that prayer in greater ways than you may have thought possible. That's the preparation process. I want to suggest to you, the Bible suggests to us, the preparation process for repairing the tear, for speaking the truth in love, But let me give you just a couple of pointers in closing for how we might actually engage the conversation itself. Can you hang with me a little bit longer? We're almost done. The first step is to relate to the listener exactly what you perceive, emphasis on perceive, 
the behavior of the other person has been. Relate to the other person exactly what you perceive the behavior has been. A woman I know approached her husband about her sense that he was allowing his work commitments to override his family relationships, and he was doing it time and time again. Honey, she said, you tell me I'm going to be home at 5.30. I know I've heard you say that. I think you meant it when you said it. But I've just, I've just noticed this week, this week, you were not home before 6.30 ever, and a number of those nights it was quite a bit later. Um, did you have a different reckoning about what happened? She, she asked him. Did you see it any differently? And, and the husband just, just couldn't say much because she had her facts right. She wasn't exaggerating them. She had revealed what the behavior had been. She had related that honestly. Secondly, reveal what the emotional and practical consequences of that behavior have been for you. Just open your heart. Now, this is the hard part. This is really difficult because it involves vulnerability. It means you need to confess to somebody else that they have a capacity to mess with your life on the inside. And few of us like to do that. It is a lot easier to hide behind those safe words, you should, you must, you ought to have, etc., etc. But But to say you should be home earlier is nowhere near as impactful as hearing something like this. You know, after being at work all day myself, you know, after going intensely all day myself, it is just so overwhelming to to try and juggle our children who are melting down and the dog that needs to go out and getting dinner on the table and... And to do it all at once, I wish I could. I, I just, I'm just failing. I can't possibly do this. I just so need help. I don't want to feel angry and resentful towards you. Do you want me to feel angry and resentful towards you? I don't think so. I don't want to feel this way. But we have to make a change. Can you help me? You hear that different tone? When somebody reveals their heart, no matter how hard somebody may try to be defensive, it's so much more difficult to not feel empathy and conviction when somebody exposes their real heart to you in a way that's not attacking. It's just assertive. The final step of engagement is to request what you hope the changed behavior will be is to request what you hope others will do differently going forward. The spouse in my illustration might say, okay, maybe 5.30 is unrealistic. Maybe this is just too intense a time for you. Could we do 6 o'clock? 6.30 even. But can you just guarantee that when you know you're not going to make it, you just call me and let me know in advance so I can prepare. Can we do that? Let me know what's going on. The key idea here is that by giving people a practical handle, a concrete handle on what they can do to resolve the conflict, you create some objective criteria against which to evaluate how it's going a week now, a month from now. Uh, It keeps you, the confronter, from unconsciously manipulating other people. I think, I'll just be honest about myself, there's sometimes when I just blast somebody in my life, not because I've got a solution, just because I want to get my feelings out. 
And it becomes a form of manipulating people, of just making them share the agony instead of really addressing the need, the problem. Naming specifically what you want to be done differently compels you to define what you want and what you don't want. It leaves responsibility where it belongs with the other person for making their own choices. It provides this fodder for discussion about expectations in the relationship. It can provide a ground for compromise, at the very least. And as Jesus says, if he or she listens... You've made a friend. You've taken a situation that was just sending the kite down, and you've sent it now on a new trajectory. Building great relationships takes courage. It takes commitment. It takes consistent effort and investment. But Jesus made it clear that repairing the tears that happen in our relationships is more important than church. Repairing the the stuff we got going on now in our lives with some of the people in in the life, it's a lot more important than coming and sitting here, frankly, to God. I mean, look at what Jesus said. In the Sermon on the Mount, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you there remember that you've got a broken relationship, leave your gift there. Leave it right there. Walk out. Go and be reconciled with that person. Then come offer your gift. Why? Why is that? Because God is all about what? Relationships. Reconciliation. That's what he's about. That's his heartbeat. That's his passion. Let's not pretend by coming to church if we're not dealing with the conflicts, the tears, the brokenness. We can come here for some help and perspective. I hope we're getting some of that this morning, but the life of discipleship is lived out in the way we come at these things uh, in our relationships. God's greatest desire is that our relationships will reflect his character, his agape love. That's his passion for us. He gave his followers a lot of credit for wanting real harmony, real intimacy in the relationships, not just a living arrangement or a working arrangement. He gave them credit for wanting transformation in themselves, real transformation in themselves, not just a character made up of tolerated sins because nobody ever got past the passivity. Uh, He gave us credit for wanting to become deeper and more mature. Jesus assumes that as his followers, we're not just playing at relationships. We're going after them together. He expects that the way we handle ourselves in times of conflict and the way we engage the conversations needed to move through and beyond conflict, he expects that this will be one of the most winsome aspects of our witness in the world. They said of the first Christians, see how they love one another. Those people are good at relationship. How do I get some of that? Is what the people said of the early church. So, let's have that said of you and me. Maybe there is right now somebody from whom you're separated by a stony silence, by a rift of resentment by some kind of deep disappointment. Maybe that's true. That's what it means to be human. 
but let's give a try to some of what we've been talking about today. Let's try and regain a trusted friend, a true colleague, an intimate spouse, a beloved child. Let's try practicing more and more of what the Bible suggests to us here because if we do this, some of these conflicts we're having that are such crises right now are going to become, with the help of God, the start of an even more remarkable relationship. May it be so. May that be so. For you and for me. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you humble thanks that you were not content to leave a gulf between us and you, but that you instead dared to risk everything in order to regain intimacy with us. And so, Lord, we pray that you will make us bold to seek that kind of connection with other people. Help us to be agents of creative communication with one another. We know that the spirit you give us is not one of timidity or of anger, but one of courage and of love and of self-control. Move us forward by that spirit to speak the words we need to speak in the way we need to speak them to the people who need to hear them. And may we hear them when that person is us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.